What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Maxwell Kosmolsky. Today is July 25th, 2022. Thank you for tuning in. This is Max Morning Market Mania, and I am back. Pleasure to have you all listening. Thank you all for the support. You guys know I love doing this. I, I love talking about money and finance and investing. My girlfriend doesn't want to hear about it. My friends don't want to hear about it. But guess what? This mic will listen to me all day long. And the camera's aimed at me. We're going to upload this afterwards. And here you guys are if you want to listen. So once again, I appreciate it. Go follow us on Instagram at underscore new school project. Share it with a friend if you find it important, if you find it valuable. Maybe if it brings you a laugh or you think it's useful information or if it even strikes your curiosity or inspires you to seek other information just to educate yourself. So with that being said, last week we had some earnings, nothing super major. The major earnings are this week. We've got the big dogs in the S&P 500. We've got Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, which is Google, Microsoft, and or actually Microsoft was last week, and uh, Meta, which is Facebook, of course. They're all reporting their earnings this week. And we got a drum roll, little drum rolls, because I don't want to hit the mic. We have the GDP numbers coming out on Thursday. So this will be very important. A lot of people are waiting for this. And the first quarter GDP was negative 1.6%. And anybody who is not compromised by propaganda or incompetence, they are fully expecting negative growth, which historically, in all of time, we have, we have determined a recession to be two quarters of declining GDP. But let's cue that first article. Uh, we, so I saw this on Zero Hedge originally, and it, it redirected to you know, thewhitehouse.gov. And as I said, two quarters of declining GDP has been the historic definition of a recession. But ahead of this potential recession, what I call a very likely recession, the United States government, our Biden administration, they are talking about redefining GDP or redefining a recession. They're talking about how, uh, you know, people usually de determine it with this or that. And then now they're talking about how they want to redefine a recession. And we know the government, our, this, the Biden administration, we know they love to hire people of incompetence and they've got all these economists on payroll and they have all been wrong about literally everything. They have been so incredibly inaccurate, inaccurate that they're either incompetent or criminally dishonest. And I'm very upset with that. Uh, I wanted to bring that up because <laughs> one of our favorite people here on the New School Project, or well, Max Morning Market Mania, besides Jerome Powell, of course, you know, I like to poke fun at him, but propaganda sputin Janet Fake News Yellen, she is the Secretary of Treasury, and she has been so incredibly wrong about everything. She is absolutely incompetent or criminally dishonest. When we were talking about printing all these trillions of dollars, she was right there to say, oh, it won't cause inflation, you don't need to be concerned, even though historically, in every scenario in all of history, when governments and central banks, they go and they increase the currency supply by such a large amount, it always results in inflation. 
So how could she have gotten that wrong? I don't know. I'm 23. I don't have PhDs in economics and finance or anything. And I knew that we would get inflation. So she was wrong. And then once we did see a little bit of inflation, she was there to reassure us, oh, no, everything is all good. The Biden administration is doing fantastic. Inflation is just transitory. So need not worry. It will go away. And surely enough, it didn't go away. Surprise, surprise. Inflation doesn't just come and go. I mean, you let the genie out of the bottle, it's fucking here. We are getting destroyed by inflation. I know all of you know it. You feel it at the pump, the grocery store, everything. And then once inflation wasn't transitory, she was right there finally acknowledging that inflation is here and it's here to stay. And now she's telling us that she does not see any evidence of a recession. <laughs> I don't know what you're smoking, Janet Yellen, but quit smoking that because you are incredibly wrong. And I'm willing to be wrong. Uh, I do my own research. I listen to people that aren't you know, I listen to the people that are on the payroll of the Biden administration, but I found them to be incredibly inaccurate most of the time. I listen to a lot of independent economists and uh, financial news reporters and whatnot, mostly just in the alternative media because, you know, mainstream media is very untrustworthy. And it seems like everything is pointing towards a recession. So we will find out on Thursday if Janet Yellen was right or if Max Kozmolski was right. And I have a feeling it'll probably be me, but who knows. So another discrepancy I wanted to talk about. So uh, there's some meetings with the Federal Reserve this week, and they're, they are expected to raise rates another 75 basis points. And right now, the 10-year Treasury is kind of cooled off with that mortgage rates cooled off. But I found a discrepancy that makes absolutely no sense, and it makes me think that there's turmoil in the system. It makes me think that it's like the Hoover Dam, and there's just a little crack here, a little crack there. That, that big crack got a little worse. And this is just one of the many, uh, many just inconsistencies, many of the things that are just red flags, things that just don't make sense. And that is the 10-year Treasury is at 2.8%. And it would make sense that if you're borrowing for the long term, since you're, so say I'm a borrower and the, the United States government is a lender, as they are with their, their bonds and treasuries, uh, if I'm willing to hand over my money for a longer period of time, I should be compensated more than the person who is willing to hand over their money for the weekend or a month or two or six. So it's always been the case 30-year 30-year treasury, it pays a higher interest rate than the 10-year, and the 10-year pays a higher interest rate than the one-year or the two-year. Well, actually, right now, the 10-year treasury is sitting at 2.8%, and the six-month treasury is sitting at 2.99%. So riddle me this. Why would you loan your money for a longer period of time, which is more risky, more can go wrong, you'll be devalued by inflation for an even longer period of time, compared to the six-month treasury, why is it that the 10-year treasury is rewarding you less than the six-month treasury? Six-month treasury, you can get 2.99% compounded annually. Now, I would rather just get the six-month treasury, and then once it uh, finishes at six months, then I just put my money back in there. I'd take the higher interest rate rather than the lower interest rate. So that doesn't make sense. That's a discrepancy. And... 
as we know, inflation 9.1%. Even if you're earning this 2.8% in the, the world's benchmark security, the 10-year treasury, 2.8% annually, you're being promised a negative 6.3% return compounded annually. So I consider that disadvantageous. But anyway, that's enough with interest rates. Let's move on to Bitcoin. Bitcoin had some action in the last 10 days or so. Cue the article, Jay, or the link or whatever. Uh, so I think that's the wrong one, actually, Jay. Yeah, there she is. So that's, we got the one-month chart up here for anyone watching. Any of you listening, I'll just explain it right here. So I said that Bitcoin has been hovering around in the 18, 19,000 to 22,000 range. And it did actually break out. It touched down near like 18,000 or so. And then it rocketed up in a seven-day span. We actually had a 24% increase in the price, which brings me back to the good old days of uh, crypto hysteria where... It's just nothing but euphoria. It's exciting. And I heard a good quote. I think it was by Rick Rule the other day. And he said that bull markets make idiots look smart. And I've been guilty of that. People actually thought I was smart just because the market was greedy. And, you know, everything was fucking going up. Back when Bitcoin went from 9000 to 60000 altcoins... They did even better. You saw moves of 100x or more in some scenarios uh, over the course of years. You know, some of these coins went 1,000 or 10,000x. It's absolutely incredible. But if you're in there and, you know, it doesn't mean you're smart, doesn't mean you're dumb, but people think you're smart just because you bought, you know, some shit coin that ended up going 80x, which that I did do that one time. I bought a token called SafeMars and... For every dollar I invested, I turned it into 82 and, you know, made people want to like ask me about it and they thought I was smart, but it's like, no, I mean, it's a bull market. There's euphoria. It's unreasonable. These gains are not warranted. They're not earned. And therefore all these crazy gains went fucking plummeting down. And that's kind of how it works. It overshoots on the upside and it overshoots on the downside, but it kind of was exciting seeing Bitcoin go up 24%. Whenever the euphoria comes back and the greed comes back, we will see moves like this. We'll see altcoins double up on in a day or two, maybe a week. We'll see Bitcoin probably double or triple up over the course of a month or two. And, you know, it's, it's always exciting, but bull markets, it's easy to look smart. Bear markets, it's easy to look dumb. So buy low, sell high. That's what I always say, people. Uh, that's the only advice I could ever give. Buy low, sell high. So right now, much better time to buy Bitcoin than, you know, it being at 60,000. You can get three Bitcoins for 60,000 now rather than just one. So how is that not better than paying 60K for one? So another thing, my, or actually before I, no. All right. I'm going to get into gold and silver. My favorite inflation hedges still getting absolutely clobbered. J clobbered. Jay, please cue the gold price chart. So we saw right after the Russia or Russia invaded the Ukraine. We see up here gold made it to, I think, 2079, 2089, give or take $2,080. 
and it went on an absolute run. That was my best week of trading because I knew supply shocks were going to come with Russia invading Ukraine. You know, they're they're responsible for a lot of our gold imports. Uh, they they actually there was they do 40% of the enriched uranium on the planet and I'll I'll start talking about that in a minute but we saw gold go from 20, 2080 now it's down near 1717 with inflation at 9.1% I would not have expected this people seek to you know go to gold because they print the the fiat currency units by the trillions but they can't print gold they can only use dollars and pull it out of the ground. You can't pull it out of the ground for free. It requires work, it requires economic output, and that's why gold is much more stable than the US dollar ever will be. And gold has been money for 5,000 years. And in Zimbabwe, as you guys can see on the screen, they just debuted gold coins as legal tender to stem inflation. Now Zimbabwe, along with uh, Venezuela, they have had some of the worst hyperinflation on the planet lately and they really have no other choice at this point you know once you open up that bottle the the genie's out of the bottle inflation it can't be put back in you open that can of worms and the deed is done you are suffering from inflation and this is kind of our answer to it we need to stabilize our currency we can't have this currency that's losing value every single year it hurts everybody on the planet besides those at the top who, you know, they're already rich, but the people at the bottom, they're paying more and more for their gas, for their gas, their groceries, this and that. So Zimbabwe making a smart move, obviously using gold as legal tender. It's much more difficult than using fiat currency units or digital dollars. If I want to pay somebody in South Africa in gold, I don't know how long that'll take. Maybe if I pay $60 in shipping, they can get it within five or six days. But with, you know, money, you can send them a wire. Yeah, there's a bunch of checks and balances. You got to answer questions, fill out forms. What's even better is using something like Bitcoin or XRP or some kind of uh, fast-moving digital assets, you know, cryptocurrency. Because, you know, if I send someone in South Africa Bitcoin, I don't have to answer to anybody. I just send it to that wallet. I don't got to fill out forms. I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to prepare for this or prepare for that. So with that being said, gold being used as legal tender, it's difficult. It's heavy. You want to go buy a car with gold. Say you're buying a $40,000 car. I mean, you got to carry 25 ounces of gold. Not that that's that heavy. It's two pounds or so almost. Uh, and it's not easily divisible. If I wanted to buy a gallon of milk, I would probably need one one hundredth of an ounce of gold and there isn't common denominations of that and what if I wanted to buy a half gallon of milk or a, a pack of gum so it's not feasible that's why the ultimate solution and what has been done in the past and that that is backing the currency with gold and at some point we are due for some kind of debt implosion credit crisis central banks all over the world printing their currency to oblivion and uh, governments all around the world having so much debt that they'll never be able to pay it off. And right now we kind of have a trifecta. We have the 1970s style inflation combined with the 1940s uh, amount of debt. Our 
debt to GDP ratio is about 125, 130%. I actually have that accessible right here. I could find it pretty quick. 129.96%, that's our debt to GDP ratio. So take 1.299 years to pay off our debt using every single dollar of economic output, which is not possible, it's not feasible. Uh, so there's that. Uh, backing the currency with gold, that's our way out of the debt implosion. There's three scenarios that I think, I, it'll boil down to either three scenarios. One, probably the most likely, and that's total utter collapse. If we back our currency with gold, that'll force our politicians to be responsible. And we know they have no interest in doing that. They would rather be incoherent, irresponsible, untrustworthy, and criminal rather than responsible, reliable, and trustworthy. So they don't want to back our currency with gold. And supposedly we're the largest gold holders on the planet of 8,000 tons. Although it is up for debate whether that's legit or not. It hasn't been audited since like the early 70s and... There was a lot of questionable things going on with that audit. Some people were like, this is bogus. We see those pictures. It, it doesn't make any sense. That room has X bars of gold in it. You multiply that by the total amount of rooms. Where's the other 90%? Now, I'm not going to do a deep dive into that because I'm not really that familiar with it. It's kind of conspiracy theory. Uh, as I said, I didn't do a deep dive. I've heard p claims... I've heard people ask questions that didn't seem to get thorough, thought-out answers. So we don't know if that's true or not, but looking at M2 money supply, which is all the money in the system, US dollars at least, if we wanted to do a 100% backing of gold, which wouldn't be completely necessary, uh, back in, uh, I don't know the exact time frame, but uh, the last time we had you know, a currency backed with gold. It wasn't redeemable. Way back in the past, I think it was in the early 30s that it stopped, you were able to redeem your fiat Federal Reserve uh, notes for actual gold coinage. And then it transitioned to a 40% backing. And if we were to do a 100% backing, then it we would revalue gold at $44,000 and we would discontinue the money printing, and that would stabilize our currency. We wouldn't see any inflation because we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be tampering with the total amount of outstanding dollars, and that is one solution. So we've got complete total utter collapse. We've got back our currency with gold, and if we do that, that'll actually be appealing for us because then we will have a solid, stable currency while those people in Europe, they're their dollars are, or their currency units, they're losing even more value than the United States dollar in some countries. The euro is in trouble. Uh, if, the U, if the US dollar became gold-backed, then that would be really good for us. We would, be, we would continue our reign as an economic power and have the global reserve currency because it would be the most trusted while all the other currencies, they're totally dependent on the reliability and the full faith and credit of their central bank. And as we know, they're not trustworthy. Third scenario, the IMF, which is just a bunch of unelected elites, they control the entire monetary system. It's called the Internet, Inter International Monetary Fund. And these people, they call the shots in every way. And 
they have something called an SDR, and it's their own currency, and they would roll that out. It's called a spe special drawing rights, and it's, it's pretty much just a fiat currency, a brand new one, and they issue that, and we just use that, and we just trust these global elites, you know, oh, we have your best in mind, so just listen to us, and, you know, if not enough people speak up, then we will do exactly that and just follow into their system, which I would not recommend. And that could spin off into a central bank digital currency. He who controls the money controls everything. He who controls the food controls the people. Uh, so they want to control the money. They want to control the food. Don't trust these people. I like to keep my wealth outside of the system. They can't mess with Bitcoin. They can't mess with gold. I own my Bitcoin outright. I own my gold outright. And they can't do anything about it. But the dollars I own outright, they will decrease the purchasing power of them. So, debt implosion, it will happen eventually. Can they kick the can down the road for another decade? You know, they probably could. Is it likely? I really don't know. We've never seen anything like this. Uh, but actually, I forgot to finish what I was saying. The trifecta that we are facing right now, 1970s inflation, 1940s debt to GDP, and then I forgot to leave this one, this one out, the earnings uh, or the profits to earning ratio of the early 2000s during the dot-com bubble when all you had to do was throw a dot-com at the end of your LLC and you know list your stock on the NASDAQ and then boom, you're rich because there was a speculative mania, kind of like what we saw in cryptocurrency. So that's kind of the trifecta we're facing right now, and we've never faced that trifecta, and I do think that it will end badly, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know. Best case scenario, inflation slows down because of a recession, and we kick the can down the road for another three to five to ten years. But I don't have a crystal ball, so don't ask me. I don't know exactly what will happen. So... Oil, oil fell a little bit more. Crude oil got down to 94, 95 bucks a barrel. And gas prices, they have eased a little bit since the peak back, you know, a couple months ago or a month and a half ago or whatever. I just got gas for $4.20 a gallon. Saw it for $3.95. Could have got it, gotten it for a little bit cheaper, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. I was paying $5.39 not too long ago. And even though $4.20 is very high, especially compared to about this time or about April of 2020, where you could get gas for, in some parts of Michigan, a dollar a gallon, we're nowhere near that anymore. And, you know, I'm happy to see it t t uh, tamp down a little bit, but, you know, it's not the end. We're going to see what happens there. Uh... Let's see. Cue the third article, please, Jay. CNBC came out with this the other day. Mortgage demand has actually dropped to a 22-year low. You know, interest rates have nearly doubled since the beginning of the year, and inflation has been damaging most people. So the affordability of a home becomes less and less. Your interest rate doubles, so your affordability you know, it gets cut, your cost of living goes up, so your affordability gets cut even more, 
And since this is the biggest drop in demand, we haven't seen this since 2000. And you know, following the early 2000s, uh, the Bush administration and the Federal Reserve at that point, they started lowering interest rates, uh, making it easy, easier to take out a mortgage and whatnot, and then packaging all these crappy mortgages into mortgage-backed securities, and then packaging the crappy mortgage-backed securities into a broader basket called collateralized debt obligations. And it was all out of whack because the shit was worthless because it was all due to, uh, it was all subject to interest rate changes because it's called an adjustable rate mortgage. And what happened was interest rates changed, so the rates adjusted, and people were no longer able to afford their houses, so mass foreclosures happened, housing market crashed. Now, do I think we'll see something like that this time around? I think everything is in place to uh, decrease housing prices even further, decrease demand for houses, but I don't see a scenario where it would result in a collapse like it did in 2007, 2008, and the years following. I don't think it'll be nearly as violent, even though prices are further out of whack than they were back then. I think the most likely scenario is home prices trickle down, interest rates probably continue to go up even though we can't afford it. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, so I was watching an interesting video, Count Fortune on YouTube. His name's Derek Quick, YouTube name Count Fortune. He specializes in just the uranium sector. You guys know I love uranium. Uranium's hovering around 47 bucks a pound right now. Back in 2011, it peaked out at 130. Inflation adjusted, that number would probably be north of 160, 170, maybe 180. And as the, as the world turns towards green energy, we will increase our usage of uranium. And recently, about two months ago, uh, the Biden administration proposed a $4.3 billion uh, deal for domestically produced enriched uranium. And as I said earlier, uh, Russia is responsible for 40% of the enriched uranium. And this is among the last uh, Russian exports that will likely be sanctioned. They're actually voting on that bill this week, and it will likely result in them uh, putting further sanctions on Russia. You know, they're profiting off of this. They're selling this uranium. They have the biggest share in the entire market. So they're going to vote on that. And if we do get that funding, $4.3 towards the uranium sector, I do expect the price of uranium to go up. That'll increase demand for uranium. It'll free up money to, to buy up uranium. And a few stocks that I'm watching for that move specifically are Uranium Energy Corp and Cameco. Tickers are UEC and CCJ. Both of the CEOs of those companies, they are strategic geniuses. Uh, Amari, I believe that's his name. It's something like that uh, for UEC. He purchased 5 million pounds of uranium, just physical uranium, a while back for real cheap. And he's sitting on that because instead of pulling it out of the ground for, say, I don't know, $45 per pound, 
you know, that doesn't sound advantageous if you can only sell it for 30. So he bought it off of the spot market, therefore taking supply out of the market, forcing us to use up other supply, which gets us closer and closer to achieving the incentive price where price needs to go up in order to incentivize production. And right now price is not anywhere near that, that magic number, which I believe to be around 70, 75. At 46, $47 a pound, it simply is not economic to pull it out of the ground because you can't sell it for a profit. So this guy, he decided to buy 5 million pounds outright and store it and just hold it as a strategic reserve. It's an asset on their balance sheet. They got 5 million pounds of uranium that basically doubled in price. So, you know, that shows good strategy for him. And the CEO of Cameco, he, he's done something similar. He's well aware of the supply crunch and they have, they're holding physical uranium as well. And he even said, I watched this uranium seminar, Rick Rule hosted it, it was a uranium boot camp. It was like seven or eight hours long, sat, sat behind the computer listening to people talk about U308 all day. Kind of interesting just because, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of profit involved in this and that's what I'm interested in. I'm also interested in the green energy. Uh, he explained how as we near these supply crunches, he's not going to sell off his uranium in his company to you know, ease that supply crunch. He's going to hold it and let that supply crunch fester and get worse and worse. And the cure for low supply is high prices. So then he's going to wait for the prices to get higher to then offload the uranium for an even larger profit. These are two very promising companies you know, I mean, they, we need them for the future. I like to invest in companies that are profitable. They're even in, you know, tough economic times, they're still profiting. Another of my favorite companies is First Majestic Silver. The ticker is AG. Uh, their stock has actually declined 50% in the last year, but yet year over year, their production has increased 20%. So their stock is 20% more favorable than it was a year ago, yet it's 50% cheaper. Now, when you go to the store and you see your favorite shirt is on sale for, you know, 50% off, you get excited. But when you're, when you see it doubled in price, you don't get excited. It's kind of the opposite in the stock market. Your stock goes down 50%, you get scared away, your blood boils. Oh, that's scary. You're losing money. But in reality, you can get twice as much for the same price. Why would you not want that? People get excited when they see the price going up. I mean, you can get less and less stock as the price goes up. Why would that be exciting to you? It's only exciting once you've already bought, but for the smart money investors, they like to see the prices decline because they're thinking in the long game. They're not jumping into hype. They're not, they're not buying whatever is moving up the most because they're smart, they're level-headed, and they know the game. I'll end it on this one last thing. We speak about inflation a lot on, the, on uh, Max's Morning Market Mania. And Weimar Germany was the most intense case of inflation the world has ever seen. And the end game of that was a luxury home in Weimar Germany. You could buy a luxury home in Weimar for five ounces of gold. People did not want the currency units because they were losing value by the minute. You got paid, you had to go to the store immediately because your money was gonna lose value by tomorrow. That's how bad it was. So nobody wanted the dollars 
and you know it jacked up the price of gold because it's stable uh, they can't print it people seek it in inflationary times to preserve their wealth and the end game of that was being able to buy a home for five ounces of gold now think about the price of gold right now seventeen hundred ten dollars so what does that put it at five ounces of gold that's about eighty five hundred dollars can you imagine buying a luxury home for $8,500? No. That, that doesn't make any sense in any, in any world. But what did I say earlier? If they backed the full currency, the full M2 monetary supply with our gold in the United States, that would give gold a price of 44000 So what's eight and a half ounces or uh, five ounces at 44000 220,000. So then you start thinking maybe that scenario could be somewhat realistic. And the guy who, his name is Rafi Farber with the Endgame Investor, he was reporting on this and he was talking about how the historic gold to silver ratio is 15 ounces of silver is equal to one ounce of gold. It was like that, you know, I wouldn't say the dawn of time, but thousands of years ago, it was fixed at that rate. 15 ounces of silver is equal to one ounce of gold. Right now, it costs like 80 ounces of silver to get one ounce of gold. So for that, with that being said, I favor silver because I think it'll get back to that historic ratio of 15 to one. So, you know, I got 15 ounces here. I think one day I'll be able to trade that for one ounce of gold. So I would rather trade 15 ounces for one ounce rather than 80 ounces for one ounce. So if five ounces of gold bought one luxury home, and at the historic ratio of 15 to 1, that means 75 ounces of silver could buy a luxury home. Now, this seems like a fantasy scenario, but we are in uncharted waters. They've printed the currency units by the trillions. We're seeing inflation in historic levels. Our debt is at historic levels. Everything is primed for a catastrophe, unfortunately. And I like sound money. I like gold and silver because it... They can't print it and we'll always need it. We've always used it. I think we'll always use it in the future. And until they start mining it off of asteroids, I, I think it'll be a big part in our world today. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if it'll ever get to that fantasy scenario, but even in the 1980s, uh, you look at the home prices, or in 1980, I. This might be a little bit off, but in 1980 was the highest price silver ever was, and it was $50 an ounce, and $50 could buy you a lot more in 1980, and home prices were not nearly as high as they were today. Now, 1,000 ounces of silver, that'd be $50,000. You could get a pretty nice house for 1,000 for ounces of silver or $50,000 back in 1980, and 1,000 ounces right now, that's only $19,000. So I see scenarios like this eventually, potentially coming to fruition. Maybe they won't be as extreme as that, or maybe they'll be more extreme. One way or another, it's sound money. They can't fuck with it. I don't trust these people that are fucking with our currency supply because it's ruining our lives. And it's almost like everything they're doing is a coordinated effort to increase the wealth of the haves and decrease the wealth of the have-nots. So I don't trust any of these people, and I'll probably bitch about it next week on Max's Morning Market Mania too. 
So before I wrap up, I didn't really talk about the stock market very much. The major indices, they were pretty much flat. They were up one or 2%. Uh, so, you know, that's why it wasn't that important. So with that being said, I think I've covered everything. So everybody who tuned in, I really appreciate that. Give me your feedback, any advice, questions, comments, concerns, what I can do to make this show better, how I can provide more value to you guys. And until then, I will see you guys next week on Max Morning Market Mania. Thank you.